We're going to go to Luke chapter 2. Imagine that for a Christmas message. I'm going to begin reading about verse 8. If you have the app, it may or may not be there. I don't know. It's not Andrew's fault, it's mine. So I don't hear many pages rustling because we don't have physical Bibles too much anymore, but you can tap into it and there's a Bible app and all that kind of stuff. Luke writes in verse 8 of chapter 2, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word today. As I mentioned on the first Sunday of Advent, all four of these Advent themes, hope and peace and joy and love, actually have things in common. First of all, they are all choices that we have to make. God has offered these as gifts to us, which is appropriate, right? Because Christmas has become so much about gifts. But God has offered these gifts to us, and we must choose to receive these gifts and to open them up and experience them. It's always a choice. I mean, if, I, if somebody gives me a gift, I have a choice. I can just let it sit there under the tree, or I can pick it up. And if I pick it up, I have to open it up. And if I open it up, I have to get it out of the box. And if I get it out of the box, I have to learn how to use it, what it's for, what the purpose is. So it's this thing called process. Y'all probably heard of that before. It's also relational and not situational. All four of these, hope, peace, joy, and love, are all about relationship and not just about situations. Sometimes we love if. Sometimes we have peace when. God's hope... God's love, God's peace, God's joy is about a relationship. It's about His abiding presence with us. And that abiding presence is how these gifts are transferred to us. That's the means of conveyance. That's the way they are imparted to us, is in that relationship with Him. The third thing that all these gifts have in common is they are participatory. That is, God has already done His part. He's given the gift. Now it's up to us to do our part. Therefore, when we look at this gift of biblical joy of Advent, we need to remember these three things about joy. Biblical joy is a choice. It's a definite decision that we have to make to receive, to begin this biblical joy. Biblical joy is a relationship defined by a personal commitment to His abiding presence so that it becomes a lifestyle and not just an occasional thing. So that it becomes something that is part of who we are. 
In order to have a relationship with someone, you can't just see them once a week. You can't just call on them when you need something. To have a relationship with someone, you have to be able to interact with them on a regular basis and have them tell you things as well as you tell them things. It's an exchange. Biblical joy is also a lifestyle. It's developed through that relationship and it is an ongoing process. Here's that word again. So let's, I always like to define my words so that we all are looking at, the same, at this word and thinking the same thing and on the same page, more or less. Now, when I looked up in Merriam-Webster's dictionary the word joy, it says that joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or the emotion evoked by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Joy, it says, is to make glad, to delight, it's elation, it's great pleasure, it's more than intense happiness, it has to do with satisfaction. So the world's definition of joy is synonymous with the definition of happiness just about. For both of these are emotions that are dependent upon what happens. Biblical joy, however, is quite different. Biblical joy is from this word kara, C-H-A-R-A in Greek. It's an interesting word. I was sharing with, with someone this morning that this word is all through the Bible, we just don't see it because English doesn't translate it always the same way. When you read the epistles, the letters, from Paul and from Peter and James, and it says greetings. Did you know that that's the word? the same word, the same root word that is used here? In Greek, they, they greet each other as kairin. It means it's literally joy to you. You hear kairin, kara, it's the same root word. And so there's another word that we often see in English that we don't understand is off the same word, and that is charis. Charis is the word Grace that is translated in our English Bibles. So when you see greetings, when you see grace, when you see joy, it's all related to the same thing. Kyra, joy, has to do with a calm delight. I like that. Joy is a calm delight. An accompanying response or reaction of a participant to a revelatory event. You see that? It's interactive. It's interactive. It's related to this charis, to this grace. So it's a response or reaction to receiving the gift of God's grace. That's where joy comes from. Our joy is really his joy. And we'll talk more about that in a moment when we get to John 15. Our joy is really his joy manifested in and through us so that we are blessed and allowed to participate in and experience his joy by his grace. And all those words are tied together. So happiness is what happens to you. It's circumstantial. Joy is what's produced in you. It's relational. Happiness is insecure. It's constantly needing attention. Joy is confident 
and doesn't fluctuate or become undermined by outside influences. You can begin to see the differences. Because sometimes in our normal vocabulary, and let me tell you, words are important. And sometimes we throw words around, and, and nowadays our society has begun to redefine words in ways that are totally warped. And joy is one of those words that we kind of carelessly toss around and we kind of interchange it with happiness, and they are not the same thing. Happiness is defined by feelings and situations. Joy is defined by faith and truth. Joy says we can trust in God's truth regardless of what the circumstances, situations, feelings, or even other people around us are trying to say to us. His joy remains. It abides. Biblical joy is much more than happiness. It's more than cheerfulness. And to quote an old song, it's more than a feeling. <laughs> Biblical joy is choosing to live above our feelings, but without denying them. Say that again. Biblical joy is choosing to live, choosing to live above our feelings, but without denying them. That means Christians do grieve. But Thessalonians tells us we don't grieve as the world grieves. We experience sadness. We experience bad things. things bad things happen to good people. But the Christian's reaction to that because of the abiding joy of Jesus Christ is much, much different. So I'm going to try to share with you today, and I've got the big red clock back there to keep me on track on time. Seven characteristics of biblical joy associated with Advent. Here we go. Hang on. First of all, and they're all going to have, you know, it's, it's my hermeneutics and my homiletics and all that kind of training. We're going to have all these I words today. Okay. So first of all, biblical joy is intentional. It's intentional. It's a choice, as we've already talked about. It's a deliberate process to obtain and maintain. Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 says this, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. Verse 3 says, Therefore, with joyously I will draw water. Joyously I will draw water from the springs of salvation. That means I choose to do this. The water just doesn't come up and splash me. I have to get the bucket and go down to where the joy is and draw it out. So we're part of, it's a participatory process. God doesn't force his joy on, he doesn't rain joy. Joy is drawn out. James chapter one. Verse 2, James says, consider it all joy. Uh -huh. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Now that this seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Joyful encountering trials. What in the world? James writes like that. I think it has something to do with being Jesus' brother. He had, some, he had something going on there. He, you know, James was probably around Jesus more than anybody else because he grew up with him. 
You, know, you do know that Jesus had brothers and sisters, right? He had at least three brothers and at least two sisters. They're named in the scripture. Well, the, the sisters aren't, as women sometimes weren't. But the brothers are named, and James was one of them. Let's look back at this James 1 verse. It says, consider. In other words, now, once and for all, reckon as, let this be your first thought, chalk it up, regard it as if it's an opportunity for great joy. And the all there means nothing but the greatest, the most intense, and the most completely full, pure joy. The idea here of this all joy means genuine rejoicing. And notice it says when, not if. When, not if. In other words, it's going to happen. Trials happen. Trials happen. As someone who's been in ministry almost 50 years, I can tell you trials happen. But I can also tell you those famous words that some people think are scripture, this too shall pass. We are to choose to be joyful even when joy would be our last choice in the natural or in the flesh. I'll say that again because sometimes these words are hard for our flesh to hear. But we are to choose to be joyful according to James even when joy would be our last choice to our natural human flesh. That's the joy that the Lord brings. All right, let's move because we've got some more to cover. Biblical joy, number two, is interpersonal. So it's intentional and it's interpersonal. This goes back to that relationship aspect. It's a who, not a what. It's a who, not a what. John chapter 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am. That's one of those I am statements in the Gospel of John that Jesus is echoing from the burning bush. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Does that sound relational? Apart from me, you can do nothing. In me, in him, apart from me. All relationship words. All those are relationships. That word abide is used over and over and over again. Why? Usually when the Holy Spirit inspires a writer to repeat a word over and over again, especially like this in this short of a passage, it's because it's something that our flesh doesn't want to hear. But God's trying to punch through. And there's a something in there in that abide that God wants us to hear today. Biblical joy is more than knowing. It's more than just knowledge. It's more than just a modern Gnosticism. If you don't know what that is, Google it sometime. You'll find out what Gnosticism is. Biblical joy is more than a feeling. Some people think that biblical joy is about goosebumps and running up and down the aisles and getting happy bumps, you know, and, and, and just jumping up and down. Well, 
Sometimes joy manifests itself that way, but that's not biblical joy. Biblical joy is not some form of Christian hedonism. Some people think it's all about the emotions that it ain't. I'll move on. Y'all get quiet already. Number three, biblical joy is, here's the third I, intimate. Intimate. Going back into John 15. It's constantly abiding. It's present. It's pervasive. It's not transient. It's not temporary. It's not just when it's convenient. It's not just for special occasions. Further down in John 15, beginning at verse 7, it says, If you abide, there's that word, in me, and my words abide in you. The word abide is the word meno, M-E-N-O. It occurs ten times in this short passage. It means to continue to live, to remain, to stay, to stand firm in and dwell in an enduring relationship. It's related to the questions of how long and where. Notice what Jesus says, abide in me, and I abide in you. You see where it is? It's not in church. It's not in a building. It's not in a geographical location. It's in us. And us in him. And when we are in Christ, it's a whole different world. I heard one uh, brother describe this abiding in or being in Christ, which is, if you look, how many times the phrase in Christ is used in the New Testament? It's an abundant usage. So that must be something that's important that the devil doesn't want us to know that God does. He described the, the idea, the concept of being in Christ as being someone who boards a plane. When you're in Christ, you're on the plane. And you can fly. And you can go fast. And you can fly and go fast more than you could ever do just by yourself. But when you're in Christ, special things are available. Special things happen. If you go out of Christ, I mean, you can jump out the plane and try to do that on your own, but you're not going to fly very far. And you're probably going to fall, and you're probably not going to go very fast, and it's probably going to hurt. But in Christ, if you abide in me and I abide in you, that's the idea, that's the concept. He says, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. As Chris mentioned, joy is one piece of the fruit of the Spirit that's listed in Galatians chapter 5. Abiding and bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The proof is in the fruit. Just as the Father has loved me, I also love you. Then again, here's the word, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Hmm. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's telling you how to stay in the plane. He's telling you how to stay on board. Now again, some of us choose to bail out without a parachute, and it hurts, and we crash and burn. But Jesus here is telling us, stay in the plane. Here's how to abide. 
These things I have spoken to you so that my joy, there's that word kara again, that calm delight, that response, that reaction of being in a, a revelatory event. When Jesus is revealed to us as to who he is, what he has done, what he has made available to us, the gift that God has offered to us, that's the source of joy for the believer. Our joy, he says, it's my joy. That means our joy is really his joy. You hear me? Our joy is his joy manifested in and through us. We have a great privilege of participating in and experiencing his joy. <laughs> Man, that ought to get us a little bit excited. And he says that joy can be in you, may be in you, and that your joy, same word, may be full. And that word full means to make complete, to cram in, to shake down, press down, and run together, to get as much in it as you possibly can, to make level up, to bring it up to the top of the cup, to get all that you can, and then maybe even slosh over a little bit on other people, that they can experience the joy of the Lord. And they can do what the Scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's like that old tube of toothpaste theory. You know, what's in comes out under pressure. What's in you spills out when you're moved and sloshed around a little bit. May it be the joy of the Lord coming out of you to others. It means to satisfy, to execute, to finish. It's a verifiable content. It's not something that you imagine. It's verifiable content. It's there. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, that talks about this abiding presence. It's this word, Emmanuel, God with us. The abiding presence of our Savior is the joy of Christmas. Matthew 1, 22. Now all this took place in, to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin will be with child, and she shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which translated, they translate it for us, God with us. God with us. Again, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, the scripture says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt there means literally pitched a tent. It was a temporary dwelling. He only stayed 30-something years. But he pitched a tent among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Joy is an intimate experience. It's a relationship. It's that abiding presence where God takes up residence with us and we can take up residence in him. Fourth, biblical joy is immutable. Now there's a fancy word. Immutable just means can't be changed. It's fixed. It will not be altered. It will persevere. It's immovable. And we go back to James chapter 1 and verse 2, where it talks about this consistent, unchanging, non-circumstantial, enduring, hopeful, peaceful joy 
regardless of circumstances or sometimes in spite of circumstances, we abide in His joy. Consider now, once and for all, reckon as, let this be your first thought, chalk it up, regard it as if, an opportunity for great joy, all, nothing but the greatest, most intense, and most completely full and pure joy. Genuine rejoicing, brothers. When, again, not if, you encounter various trials, then it says, verse 3, knowing that this testing of your faith produces endurance. There's, there's a favorite word for everybody. Endurance is sometimes in some of the Bibles translated perseverance, sometimes translated patience. Favorite concepts for us. It has to do with steadfastness, and we'll talk about it more. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The joy of patient endurance is a special joy that comes from Jesus. This word testing that is used here, is a word that comes from metallurgy. It's used in this process of purifying metal. Precious metals would be smelted, tested, by putting them through extreme heat, removing the impurities. This tested metal became so pure that you could see your reflection in it. So in this word picture here, God is testing us and seeing his reflection in us. As we go through the heat of the trial, we become more like him. So this process then is called perseverance. Perseverance. The process of purification. The process of God producing his image in us. That image that was marred in the garden, that image that was taken away as we fell, God wants to restore to us. The word perseverance is something that I'll have to do a whole message on sometime because it's a very special word. It's hupomenes. Hupo means upon, under, underneath. The word minnow is that same word that's found in John 15, abide, live in. So you could say that the word minnow means to remain in one spot, to keep that position, to resolve, to maintain a territory that has been gained. It's a military term. It's the state of mind that says, this is my spot, and I'm not moving. It's an unwavering determination to maintain that position of joy because of his abiding presence. That should change our, our outlook on trials, on tests, on things that we go through. It's God putting us in this smelting thing so that he can produce his image in us. Keeping all this in mind, then James chapter 1, verse 4 can be read like this. But let patience have her perfect work, be bringing forth in me the kind of attitude that hangs in there, never giving up, refusing to surrender to obstacles, and turning down every opportunity to quit being joyful. God doesn't want you to quit being joyful just because stuff comes. I can tell you in 50-something years of serving the Lord, stuff comes. Stuff happens. And it's not always happy, happy. Some of it's miserable, miserable. Some of it's painful. Some of it, it feels like the heat is really turned up. And it feels like you're melting. 
but I have trusted in the Lord for all these things, not because of me, but because of Him. And I have found that every time I do that, His image comes forth. His image comes forth. To Him be the glory. Number five. Biblical joy is invigorating. Yeah, I had to use the thesaurus to come up with all these eyes. You know. But it's invigorating and intentional. It's power with a purpose. In Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, we, we hear this verse quoted quite a bit, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. The whole verse says, do not be grieved. That is, don't get stuck in guilt or shame or condemnation. For the joy of the Lord, the understanding of the truth of his word is your strength. If you see the context of Nehemiah 8, it's the people hearing the word of God being read for the first time in a long time after the captivity. And they stood for hours as the scroll was read by the prophet. And as they heard the word, it grieved them because they realized all that they had missed out on and all that they had done to offend God. And what the prophet here is saying is, don't be grieved, don't get stuck there. Yeah, feel, feel, the, feel the guilt, feel the shame, feel the conviction, feel that condemnation initially, but don't abide there. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, their purpose was fulfilled through a supernatural joy that caused them to overcome the shame and guilt and condemnation, and accomplish the mission that God had restored them for. The joy of the Lord strengthened them and enabled them to accomplish what God had restored them to, for, to the land. And there's some of us sitting here today that God has restored from captivity. Hear the word of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't abide in the guilt and the shame of the past. Don't allow condemnation to beat you over the head and cause you to hang your head in shame. But hear that this is the joy of the Lord. His word is truth and it will deliver you and has delivered you. That's what we heard in these testimonies this morning. God has brought you out. You're not who you were. You're not in that captivity anymore. Rejoice in Him and fulfill the purpose that God has set you free for. Don't allow the enemy to beat you over the head with your past. Rejoice in the now that God has put you in. You can look back there just to remember what God has brought you out of, but abide in the present strength of the joy of the Lord. Biblical joy number six is intense. It's an inexpressible, overwhelming, unspeakable joy. For this we go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Peter writes, In this you greatly rejoice. It's one word there. That greatly rejoice is actually one word. And it means to jump or to leap for joy. To show one's joy by leaping and skipping. Denoting excessive or ecstatic joy and delight, a joy that encompasses the whole purpose and radiates from the purpose, from the person. Sometimes the joy of God is just overwhelming, and it's okay. Now, I've, I've seen 
people get in their flesh, you know, and try to imitate it, and it looks ridiculous. But when the joy of the Lord comes into you, there's really not much else you can do but react to his joy. That's genuine. That's real. And you can tell the difference when somebody's trying to imitate what they've seen others do or what they think they should do and when it's coming from the source of the real presence of the living God. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by very... There's that word again, trials. So that the proof of your faith, being much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, there's that same concept that we talked about, that purification process from James. Peter knew about it too. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remember I told you joy had to do with a revelatory experience. When the joy of Jesus is revealed to you, it exudes joy. It makes you full of joy as well, an overwhelming joy. Verse 8, and though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice just as that first verse that we read, with joy inexpressible, unspeakable, unutterable, beyond words, so that all you can do is react and dance and jump for joy. And then he says, and it's full of glory. It's full of glory. It's not glory that's for us, it's glory to God. Right? This is not done to attract attention to the person experiencing this overwhelming joy. It's done to glorify the source. It's a realization of what that relationship with Jesus has done for us. It's intense. It's inexpressible. Finally, number seven. Biblical joy is informative. That is, it's transforming from the fear of ignorance to the joy of knowing. It takes us from great fear to great joy. And we come back to our text in Luke chapter 2. There were shepherds in that region living in the field and keeping the, the, uh, keeping the night watch over their flock. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were struck with great fear. Now that word, those words in, in, in the original... Great is the word mega. You're familiar with the word mega, right? Great is mega. And the word fear is phobo, phobias. We're familiar with that word. So it's great fear. Megaphobia is what these shepherds had. Read on in verse 10. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. You know that that phrase occurs over a hundred times in Scripture? It must be something that God wants to get us to understand. Don't be afraid. For behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. This is the opposite of the great fear that they just said that they had experienced. Great, mega, joy, kara. So, from megaphobia to megakara. From great fear to great joy. This is what knowing what God is trying to do brings to us. 
It's good news of great joy, that calm delight. God's joy brings peace and hope that calms our fear because we realize his love. There's all four concepts of Advent. Verse 11, for today in the city of David, here's what brings the joy. A Savior has been born, who is Messiah and Lord. Three titles for Jesus in that one verse. Savior, the one who will redeem us, who will rescue us, who will deliver us. Messiah, the anointed one, the one that the Jewish people had been looking for and promised for centuries. And Lord, the one who had come to rule the absolute authority. Now, unless we recognize Jesus as all three of those, our joy may be incomplete. Because, see, when he abides in us, he doesn't wear a disguise. When he abides in us, he comes in as Savior, the one that we welcome, right? To save us, to deliver us, to bring us out of what we've found ourselves in, the mess. We welcome that part. Even Messiah, the anointed one that has come to deliver his people, to lead his people. The one that we struggle with typically is that last one where it says, Lord. <laughs> that's, the, that's the word kurios. It means the ultimate ruler. The ultimate ruler, the one who has the highest position of authority. And guess what? He doesn't share that throne. And that's what we struggle with a lot of times. And that's what robs us of the genuine abiding joy of Jesus Christ. We're okay with being saved. We don't want to go to hell. We're okay with being redeemed and bought back as from a Messiah. We recognize that Jesus was anointed and we want all the good things that he did as Messiah. But when it comes to being the ruler, we want to sit next to him on the throne and sometimes bump him off and say, no, no, Lord, I'll take it here. I had a Sunday school teacher back in the day and she taught me this and it stuck with me all these years. If he is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. The good news of the gospel transforms great fear to great joy. The good news of the gospel brings peace and hope that calms fear because of the message of love. Fear in scripture is usually provoked by encountering what we can't understand or by something that's overwhelming. While biblical joy is based in coming to an understanding of who God is and what he's done for us. Fear is ignorance of who God is. That's why the scripture tells us perfect love cast out fear. So the summary, the conclusion of this is biblical joy of Advent is the understanding of the coming of Christ and what that means for us. The joy of the Lord is not an emotional state. It's, it's a mindset based on a relationship that has been restored through genuine repentance and restoration through the abiding presence of a relationship with our living Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can come to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4 
where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's that same word, kara. And the tense of the verb that is used there is, Be rejoicing now and continue rejoicing into the future. We need to hear that. Not rejoice when. Not rejoice if. Not rejoice because. But start rejoicing now in Christ and keep on rejoicing regardless of what happens around you. Abide in the rejoicing presence of our Deliverer, of our Savior, of our Messiah, of our Lord. And there is a connection to what Chris is going to cover next week, and I'll just briefly talk about this, the biblical love of Advent. 1 John chapter 4, verse 5. I love 1 John. What a great book. John says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides, that same word from the Gospel of John, in Him, and He in God. We have come to know and believed the love which God has for us. For God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Is, is the Holy Spirit trying to get something across to us? By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence. The joy of the Lord is confident because of the love of God. At the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also we are in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. Ignorance of what's really going to happen. <laughs> the one who fears is not perfected, not completed, not made full in love. We love because he first loved us. There it is. Jesus is the joy. He is our joy. He is the joy of Christmas. Our joy has come in the person and the completed work of Jesus Christ. So now we are commanded by him in John 15, to abide in that joy. To abide in him, in the hope of his salvation. For in that abiding relationship with our living Lord, confirmed by the establishment of his living word in us, we have a lasting peace. And we can greatly rejoice with that joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what the joy of Advent is about. It's not just about a little candle. It's not just about a pink thing. It's not just about happy, happy, joy, joy. It's about the abiding presence of the living Lord. When we abide in Him and He abides in us, there is joy. And the world can't explain it. And neither can the world take it away. The world can't explain it. And the world can't take it away. That's why the scripture talks about that peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace. It's a completeness. It's a wholeness that, Mar that uh, Brian talked about last week. That allows that joy to remain.
You see, the world's happiness gets leaked out pretty big because they have cracks from all the stress and pressures that they're under. But when we abide in Christ, he has no cracks. He has no leaks. As long as we abide in him, his joy remains, abides in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray right now for your abiding joy to come to each of us who are your children. And if there aren't any here today that don't know you, Lord, that haven't experienced this joy, who don't have that relationship, who haven't made that choice, I pray that today would be the day Holy Spirit speak to their hearts and draw them to all that you have to offer them, forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, to experience firsthand the love that you have for them today. Holy Spirit, do your work. Speak to hearts and lives. Lord, if there's any here today that are yours already, that have been in turmoil, I pray that you would speak your peace to them now and that they would have that joy, unspeakable, full of glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.